Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Shabbat Shalom. Welcome back, everyone. It's Saturday. What a great day. Guess who we have? I don't have an imaginary husband. I really do have one. <laughs> he didn't have to work today. My husband name is Jerry. And so, uh, Ock Jerry, brother Jerry. And so, um, he's traveling with me this week because it's my birthday and I'm a birthday brat. Everybody say happy birthday. Happy, happy birthday. birthday. <laughs> <laughs> And that's one of the things we uh, do celebrate is birthdays and weddings. And, and in the Bible, they have they did celebrate birthdays and weddings. So I am a birthday brat. So uh, actually, it'll be tomorrow. But we've been traveling since Monday. And so we're going to be talking about uh, the place that I wanted to visit for my birthday. So we'll first start off with uh, Jerry saying a prayer. So we'll go ahead into our prayer. Father God, we come to you in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, thanking you for the opportunity to uh, exist and live and, and have move and have our being and, and come to know you through your son, Jesus Christ. Yes, we thank Lord. you for traveling grace. We thank you for this biblical study. We thank you for the word that will go forth. Father, we thank you for the love that you have for us, that you would provide for us in everything we need. Yes, and also, before we even ask, you said you know what we need. Father, we give all glory and honor to you. Let your will be done today and all days in our lives. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So you notice we have on matching shirts, okay? It says, do justice, love mercy. And so uh, for my birthday, what I wanted to do is because of the pandemic is try to keep it uh, simple. So we went to... Montgomery, Alabama to the Legacy Museum. So there's a Legacy Museum over there that Brian Stevenson, he's an attorney. He's a death row lawyer and advocate for criminal justice reform. And so we went over there. So I have some interesting things to uh, tell you. Um, it, was, it was sad. I started crying, but it, it's his, we, we need to know our history. And I, I say that everyone needs to go and visit uh, Montgomery, Alabama, which was the top slave trade in the United States in the South. Okay, so Jerry will tell you a little bit about his experience and then I'll um, go into mine. So um, when we went to the museum, we, we, I saw prior to going a couple of pictures and things. So I kind of had somewhat an idea what to expect. But when you get there and you see the level of depravity, the level of oppression, the level of subjugation of our people, it, it kind of, it can make you very bitter and very resentful. Um, but it also shows you the strength of our people to be able to endure the transatlantic uh, route to get to the United States because many died in route based on the, the harsh and severe conditions they were in. Some even jumped off the boats. I mean, it, it, you know, it's like, imagine you know, it 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 it, it, it kind of could put you in the, the idea where you can envision or imagine what was going on in their minds when they were put in chains and 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 things. You know, I, I told my friend about this. I remember Roots. Um, Roots, you didn't have to imagine; you could see it. It 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 depicted the the brutality, but um, it was very moving, very powerful. Um, 
And also, there was another museum we went to. Uh, Lynch Memorial. Well, that as well as the, um, it showed the Jim Crow laws. Mm-hmm. And different, it gave a sample of the diff- different laws for the different states. And Oh, that's the Legacy Museum. Yeah, where you couldn't, if a person played pool with a person of color, then there was a fine. It, it, you know, just all the things, the, the racism was codified in law and, and implemented by the tools of law and enforced by law. And you, you, you see that it's like, you, you know, you hear about it, you read about it, but when you see it, it's just, it's stunning. Um, America has come uh, a ways. We have a way to go, a long way to go with respect to um, becoming, fulfilling the promise of America. And the hope, you know, Martin Luther King said he had a dream and I get that, you know, you could see, you know, the history and you see what our people went through. But the encouraging thing was that even though when you think about Israelites in Egypt, that the oppression caused them to grow, it caused them to unite in a sense. Um, The thing that we have to do is unite and grow in our knowledge and understanding of God and the things that he wants for us because the tools and the things that I look at it from the spiritual standpoint that Satan uh, uses things, uses people to oppress God's people. And the battle, you know, the people want to fight the physical battle and I get that, but that only carries you so far. There's a spiritual battle. Um, The Bible says my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And it says without a vision, my people perish. So, we need to understand God's perspective, his desires, his will, and follow his commandments and, and live according to his word and live by faith. And I think there are things we can do in the physical world, things we do in the, in the spiritual world, but the battle is always spiritual because you can't turn the hate, you can't turn the rage, you still have to do the will of God. And so, but the thing for me was it was it was just allowed me to envision the resolve, the resiliency, the strength of our people to endure that level of brutality and survive. And so, you know, that that's just it's just we're a strong people. It's amazing. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. Octus Muke. And so um, my Easter keeping it real, I'm going to talk about that also today, my experience. And the topic is the opposite of poverty is not wealth, it's justice. And that's from Brian Stevenson. Think about the, the, the opposite of poverty is not wealth for us Hebrew Israelites, it's justice. That's deep right there. And so, um, if you talk about, uh, so it was a lynching memorial. What it is, is it was a bunch of caskets that set up and it went back from 1877 to 1950. And as you come in, the caskets go higher and higher and higher to, to recognize that the lynching, that the people were going up. And then it had little platelets 
on the side of them and it tell why some people were lynched. Like one was lynched for just bumping into a, a Caucasian woman. Another one was because they were a couple, uh, they lynched him. Um, what were some of the other reasons on the templates that we read? There was hundreds of them. Uh, well, some were, were lynched because they um, were advocating people voting. For voting. Um, Another one was, was lynched because she was crying because her husband had been lynched. So they lynched her and she was pregnant at the time. And so it, it was just sad, just hundreds and hundreds of, of these caskets that sat in there. So Montgomery, Alabama, now we know that in 1619 is when uh, the first people came over, the, the slaves came over in Virginia. But Montgomery, Alabama was the main slave trade. By the year of, by the year of 1860, they had approximately, and I have this written down, 435,080 enslaved people there by 1860. So, and so the, uh, the museum that we went to, now there's two parts. So there was the memorial, then the museum. Now the museum had facts in there. And so the museum is where I started to cry because when you first walk in, they had these, what do they call it? How, how? And holograms. The, these holograms of people. And it's the actual warehouse where they kept the slaves is where this uh, legacy museum is. And so they had a hologram of people behind um, in like a jail-like figure behind bars, and then they were talking. And so it was sad. You had the women saying, my babies were taken from me. Um, why are we here? Uh, why are they doing this to us? But when you got to the part, and I feel like right now, it was kids saying, can you help me find my mother? Can you help me find my father? Whew. That was just heartbreaking for me. But I, I said you need to go there because it's history. And when you go there, it's a different, it's just a different type of feeling. And then there's jars there. Okay. So the jars there is the, um, every lynching is 4,400 lynchings that they've documented. Of course, we know it's, it's thousands or more. But the, the, the reason they can go back is because it was in the newspaper. So they mm -hmm. actually could trace it. This was like a media newspaper. We're going to have a lynching tonight. Everybody show up. So they were tracing it. They traced them back to the newspaper. And because, of course, they didn't have a proper burial, what they've done is they've taken the soil because our blood is in that soil where the lynching take, has taken place. So that's the burial. They put them all in these jars with the soil in there, and it has their name on it in the year. And so it's only 36 states that they've uh, taken this from. So they've only um, gotten up to 36 states for this, but it's, it's just heartbreaking. And so in the Legacy uh, Museum, it does, doesn't talk about, it talks about till now what's going on. And that's what he's advocating because he's an attorney. So it went from the slave trade and then it went to, uh, decades of lynching because they didn't want us let us go they would hunt us down like dogs and kill us or they would just kill you on the spot before they would let you go okay mm -hmm. so that's where uh, it was lynching and terror prior but that's when it really got bad and then it came into the jim crow laws okay so the jim crow laws was the segregation i'm gonna talk a little bit about that and then came the mass incarcerations so they say okay we got rid of these the, the segregation, so now we're going to imprison them.
I worked for the police department before, which was a very racist and eerie Pennsylvania police department. And what they would do is you're out there, you're by yourself, they call you a nigger and, and, and police brutality, they bring you and say you're resisting arrest. They're going to win every time. And then what? You have a felony. Now you can't vote. Now you're in jail. Now you can't ever have a, a government job. Now you can't even get decent housing because even the housing market discriminates. If you have a felony till this day, you can't get housing. I know because I work in real estate. It's, it's atrocious and it's still going on today. Okay. So the, the Jim Crow laws uh, started back in the 1800s. Okay. So Jim Crow, and I'm just telling you some history. I know a lot of people know this history, but because we just went there and, and the emotions are, are, have, has arisen in me, the Jim Crow law, it was about this guy who used to paint his face black and dance and do this song and act like a nigger as they, as they would see us. Let's keep Easter keeping it real now, dance around. And so when they inherited this law, it was called the Jim Crow law, okay? And so in 1865, the 13th Amendment, when we got our, uh, our freedom, they said right away, we gonna have this Jim Crow and a lot of lynching started then, okay? And so let me tell you uh, some of the things that were on the wall for the Jim Crow law, in case you haven't read it. I want, there's many of them, but um, some that stood out. Uh, the blacks had to have a different entry and exit in all the places, okay? Another one is a child uh, that was white could not, if a child was white, a black person couldn't have permanent custody of that child. That was another one. Um, a white nurse, could not treat a black man, okay? Um, blacks could not drink out of the same fountain. We know there was a, a lot of that in going to the bathrooms. Uh, the kids could not go into a white school with white kids. The black kids and white kids couldn't go to school together. And as Jerry stated, the biller and the pool room owners, they couldn't even get a license if they were gonna allow to have black people in there. So they couldn't even get a license to have a biller to play pool or drink in there. So that's just the name of few, all right? And so in um, 1964 is when the Jim Crow ended. That wasn't long ago. Just think about that. And then 1981 was the last document in lynching, which we know is still going on today, but that's the last document in lynching. It was in Mobile, Alabama. A 19-year-old boy was lynched by the KKK who was beaten and hung from a tree. There was an arrest made on, on that one. So I'm sitting there and I'm looking at all this and I'm doing the calculations. Let's think about Biden and Trump. Okay, so Biden was born, I'm, I'm just saying, 1942. So he was what, 22 years old during this time when this Jim Crow stuff was going on, right? And Trump was born in 1946. He was 18 years old. When I look at this book, these are a bunch of kids watching these lynchings. These are children, 10,000s of people. What does that tell you? They were one of those children in that time. 
either watching or hearing at their table that these are niggers, they're no good, they have no worth, they're lazy, they don't want to work, but yet they bought us and enslaved us here to do cotton and tobacco. Just think about it. All those people in that age group are now 65 in their 70s, from 65 on up. These are the ones who over our police department. These are the ones who are over our corporations. These are the ones who, who were at the time yelling at those kids in their face when they when they segregation ended, get out of our schools. And see, Trump was trying to tell on Biden on stage. And I, I'm not gonna go that deep into it, but he was trying to say, we both the same, bro, about keeping America great. And he went back and said, you put them all in jail. And then you heard Biden say, well, I want to redo it. He said, you have 47 years in, in, in the, to redo it. We have to wake up. We have to see what, what's going on. And so it's, it's Easter keeping real. Part of it is they can't acknowledge it because they acknowledge it, they have to do something about it. They acknowledge it, they have to do something about it. And they're ashamed of it but it's embedded in them. And it's a shame that in, in, until you get about another 10 years, they won't be dead until about another 10 years in that age period where they were actually there, where they were actually joined in and their parents were doing this. And then that Christianity, it talks about Christianity there too, how it was forced, oh, we gonna lynch this nigga tonight and then we gonna go to church tomorrow, we gonna pray. God gonna forgive us. And you think about it, how they gonna have a black God up on the cross, uh, Yeshua, after they didn't lynched his people. They had to put a white man up there. They couldn't have it any other way. Think about it. You think those slaves was gonna look up there and see our Yeshua black up there and think that they was a dirt? No, they gonna say, you praying to him, but you, you, you killing me? Oh, so many emotions came out and you, you have to go there. And when you start connecting the dots, I, I just feel like I'm never going to belong in the United States of America. That's, that's me keeping it real. And I can't wait to get back to Israel. I might not live to see it, but my heart is there. Anybody have any questions? I know that was pretty deep with me and intense. <laughs> but... <laughs> It's, it's my birthday and I um, I went there and a lot of things just, just came, it, it, it just, it overwhelmed me. Yes, Sister Easter, thank you for sharing that with us. That was deep, um, everything you just shared with us. Only thing that I wanted to say is, is it's just so, our God is just, our, our Yahweh is just such an amazing God because it's all written down in Deuteronomy everything that was gonna to happen to us. The fact that we would hang on the trees in Deuteronomy, the fact that they would come and get us, the fact that we wouldn't know who our God was, all this stuff was written down in Deuteronomy. Um, and there was a great evil done to us, right? By a certain uh, group of people. But the thing that I like to always keep focus of is that it says in Deuteronomy, right? Before we get to all these curses, what's the reason for these curses? It's not because another people are so evil, it's because of our disobedience. And so at the end of the day, you know, with everything going on, we got to remember why we are in the position we are in because of the disobedience of our ancestors. And that's why you always say three goals 
And one of those goals is getting back to who we're supposed to be. That's why we're on this journey right now. So I just wanted to stamp, stamp everything you said with that is just remember that we're in a situation because of disobedience. So the only way to get out of it, it's not Trump, it's not Biden, it's not the government, it's not anything here. The only way to get out of it is to, is to obey. He likes our obedience over sacrifice. So I just wanted to stamp it with that and say, we got to obey. We got to get back to these laws, these statutes, and these commandments and get back to all the things in which Yahweh gave us as a people. Amen. Anybody Amen. else want to make any comment on what Jerry and I experienced there in uh, Montgomery, Alabama? Yeah, you said that age group. I'm in that age group. I was there. I was a part of that. You know, when Martin Luther King was alive and Jim Crow, I was alive during that time. And I knew what was going on. We had dinner table discussions. You know, we saw it. And we actually marched. Uh, Lisa and I, when we were small, we actually marched. You know, so we're a part of that. We were actually a part of that. And, and so it's, you know, I, I get into this debates with some of the Europeans and I tell them, I said, dude, you weren't there. Mm -hmm. You had no part in it. I was there for the end, you know, Jim Crow. I was there. Our, our parents shielded us from a lot of things that were going on. I remember going to the park, to the swimming pool and, and we get in and the white people get out. I remember that. And we did it intentionally so they could get out. My parents took us and said, we're going to the park, we're going swimming. And they would take us so they could get out and we could take over the pool. We did that. We, so, you know, this is real. Again, but we, we're not angry. You know, we don't hold any animosity from those things because we understand who we are and where we've come from and where we're going, mm -hmm. who we are and whose we are. So, yeah, I, I can, you know, when you're talking those things, it's real for me. And it's see, real. I was I was seven years old. So the Jim Crow law ended in 1964, which just because it ended doesn't mean it ended. Because, you know, your mentality has to end and the way you treat people have to end, too. And so I was seven years old. Jerry was two. It wasn't that long ago, folks. We, we, we're just coming out and we're not even out of it. The incarceration is so great. They had on there about the false incarceration. And then we look at the Rosa Park. People died on those buses before Rosa Park became a legacy. That's all on the wall too. This man, he gets on the bus, it's a story. He pays his, he pays his fee and the man says, go to the back and enter. And he refused to go to the back. He called, they called the police, they shot him, they murdered him on site, and they murdered the other black people that was on that bus for GP, general purposes. Uh, it's all in there for you to read and for you to see. And sometimes, you know, we hear it and it, and it doesn't really become real until you go into a place like that and you feel the, your ancestor spirits in there. And, and you know, yeah. and, and a lot of people lived it and they've seen it and it's a hush hush. It's a, it's a quiet that they don't want to talk about. Yeah. They don't, they don't want to talk about it, but it's time to have that conversation. Yeah. They'll never own up to that. Um, and they'll never admit their guilt because that's the cloak that they hide up under. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> There's a popular show that we've watched, um, and it's called, um, Boys in the Hood, I think it is. And it talks about these little dolls. Oh. And <laughs> please forget, well, never mind. Um, and these dolls have spirits 
and the governor there is white and there is an African-American guy that is his promoter. And eventually he ends up falling down the stairs because he didn't stand up. And these little dolls go throughout the house and their spirits are there. Um, just like you said, many people, when you go into many places, you can feel the spirit of those that were there before you. I've been to Alabama, I have family in Alabama. And so I've seen some of that before, but this is for another time. I'll send you some videos that you can watch that are for real. Thank you. And, and this is not a hate group. We're, we're not a hate group here. And I wanna uh, set that straight. We're just here about telling the truth. We're here about telling uh, how to move forward. So I think United States thinks we're, we're trying to take vengeance on them and that's what they're scared of. No, we don't want vengeance. We want you to, to acknowledge it. And we ourselves, we have to come out of this. Biden is not gonna save us. We have to come out of this by knowing our identity and moving forward. And we're telling you how to move forward. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Uh, Jerry and I, we did, uh, we started yesterday together. And so by, by doing what Rabbi Afshalon is teaching, that's how we're gonna move forward by the laws, by living by the laws, by knowing who you are. And so uh, Rabbi Afshalon, um, I know I've taken a lot of time, it's, it's my birthday. So I, I took a, my birthday. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, take but all the time you need. You take as much time as, as you need, and he's going to give you uh, talk about life cycle. We're going to continue with that. So uh, you can go ahead and take it over, Rabbi Shalom. Thank all you. Right. Well, Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Uh, very deep, deep sharing that was, and and you know, oh my goodness, it, it's kind of hard to go away from that. You know, when you start talking about those, that's history. That's not ancient history, that's modern history. So again, I am going to continue teaching in a way and hopefully systematically to prepare us to walk in the covenant agreement that we have with Avina Shabbat Shalom, our father who is in heaven. We have strayed away but we can return. And before I start, and I'm talking about, I am talking about uh, right now, life cycles for the Israelite. And uh, I wanna read something, uh, a parable from the Brief Hadashah. Uh, for you Jews that are out there, you people that call yourself Jews, brothers that call yourself Jews, you don't read the, the New Testament or the Rit HaDashah, you need to read it. And you need to understand it. If you've left it, then you need to go back to it and read it and read it. But read it in the context of it being based upon and built upon the Torah. Okay, that's the way you have to do it. From the mindset of an Israelite. Okay, from the mindset of an Israelite. So I'm going to read this from the book of Luke as we again get into the life cycle because I'm teaching you things that prepare you for the, the tikva or the, the re, uh, reversion for some people a conversion for, for many of us a reversion in other words we're going back to the contract agreement so I'm preparing you for that so that if when the time comes if you decide you want to do it you do it it's not for everyone this, this lifestyle is not for everyone everyone can't, can't do it 
and that's okay. But don't let it drive you away from, from worshiping our Father. Continue to worship the Father. Because I don't have a heaven nor a hell to put you in. But I'm here. I'm just like the angel that went before Moses. You know, I just do what the word says. It says forgiveness is not in him. Just do what he says. Okay. In other words, he, he had no heaven, no hell to put you in. But it's going to be the father that's going to deal with you. And we see that today. The father is dealing with us. We are his children. We are being dealt with because of the rebellion of our ancestors. So let me read the book of Luke right quick, chapter 15, um, verse 11. If you have your, your Bible, which you, verse 11, uh, it says, and he said, now he's, this is talking about Yeshua is, is teaching and he's teaching through a parable. He says, a certain man had two sons, okay? Now, when you think about these two sons, you think about, think about it this way, Israelites and Jews. Think about it that way, Israelites and Jews. Why do I say that? Israelites are by blood through Jacob, all 12 tribes. Jews were the people of the nations that accepted the way of Torah and became known as Jews with all the rights and privileges of an Israelite. So I'm going to say he has two sons, all right, Israelite and Jews, okay, Israel and Judah, or Judahim, okay. So it says, and the young of them said to his father, give me, my, give me the portion of goods that have fallen to me, and he divided unto them his living. And not many days after the younger, after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to the citizens, the citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. He and he would feign um, his belly with a husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants have my, my, of my fathers have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger. I'll arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. I want to stop right there because I don't want to go too far into it. Because, but look at that. If you can see yourself in that prodigal son, if you can see the children of Israel, if you can see the West African Jews, the, 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 the American Negro, the American African, in that parable, how we left our father's house and we went and, and we were, now it was by force, but it was because of our, our own obstinate and disobedience, but we found ourselves taking on the customs of the cities, the citizens of other nations. We rebelled against our father and we were out, we eat pork, we eat shellfish, we eat all the things that are, that are destroying our bodies. We do those things because the nations have done it and they forced it upon us. But while we're here in this day and time, 
we're coming to our senses. Now think about this parable. So, and we're out here, we find ourselves in squalor, living in poverty, being beneath when we should be the head. And we're realizing, wait a minute, in my father's house, you know, I had plenty to eat. I had everything I needed. I'm going to go to my father and I'm going to repent and say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. Now, the, 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 the sinning, this is, this is where we are now. We are, again, we have recognized that we have our forefathers have sinned and we repent for the sins of our forefathers. Now we are returning, okay? We are, we are striving to return to the contract agreement that Abraham Avino uh, entered into. Okay. Now, last week, uh, I, I talked about contracts and contract law uh, in, in, in reference to um, uh, Sarah, with what Abraham did when Sarah passed in the, in the parish hall, and how he went through contract law, and that there were at least two or three people involved of sound mind, of, the, of, of, of age, there was an offer, there was acceptance, and there was consideration. For us, as the children of Israel, and in one of the life cycles, for the men, the consideration is the blood, the drop of blood from the membrane off the penis. That's our consideration to the Father. Is that blood because the life is in the blood and, and we're giving up a part of our body. And we see that in Yeshua because he shed his blood on Calvary, as we're taught. That's the consideration is the blood and to, to re-enter in the contract agreement. So what we're doing now and what I'm teaching is how to re-enter into the contract agreement and how the stages of our life represents that contract agreement and how we are to uphold that contract agreement. And so we're looking again at the life cycles and I'm going to go uh, to, I'm gonna read some things that I, I, I read on, on last, was it, what, like, what night did I read? Last night, uh, Rev Shabbat. And I'm gonna read this out of a book that I have. And I want you, if you have notes, take it if you, if, if, uh, if uh, a Akhote, a uh, Sarah is recording this, you can go back to recording and, and get this, but I'm going to read these life cycles and then we're going to start breaking them down. We won't get to them all today, but I do want to get to the birth, the time of birth. And I want to maybe touch Brit Mila, just maybe I, I, I doubt it, but I'm going to try to because I want to be timely and I don't want to uh, give you too much so that you can't, I want you to go back and look at scripture. And if possible, in time, as I get you into more of the Mishnah and the Mishnah Torah, which goes into more explanation, you know, that's what it's, so you have a, a good understanding of why we, why it's so important for us to go back to the contract agreement and live it according to that contract agreement. Because if we had, if our forefathers had obeyed the contract agreement, we would still be in Israel. But we understand that we're here because scripture had to be fulfilled. And so we are living in biblical times, whether you know it or not. Okay. 
So here, I'm gonna read these. Um, it says, at five, at five, and I'm talking about children now. Now for us that are, our children are already grown, we know that it's for our grandchildren and even for our great-grandchildren, if you're able to, if you're blessed to have great-grandchildren now, or if, if you're blessed to have grandchildren. But for our children, for those that are of, that are, are now coming into the, the awareness and are returning to the contract agreement, these, this is good for you because you can begin to implement it today, okay? So it says, at five, a child is ready for the study of Torah, okay? So for us, many of us, we're just like children because we're now starting to learn the Torah, okay? We're going back to the contract agreement because again, in the Torah, that's where you find the contract and how we are supposed to, to function and live as a people amongst the nations, okay? Okay, so at five, we begin. So imagine if you had started learning Torah at the age of five. Many of us, we started to go into elementary school at the age of four and five. We go into elementary school. And, and, and so, but for us, our children, again, though they're starting elementary school, they still should be learning Torah. And, and again, when you, if you're in the church, whether it be in a Christian church, or if you're in uh, Hebraics and you're going to the synagogue or the temple, uh, or if you're going to a mosque, if you're a Muslim, believe me, the Muslims on Fridays, whatever, they're learning Torah and they learn the Quran, but they're gonna know the Torah as well. So at five years old, we start to learn the contract agreement, okay? You start to learn the contract agreement, the basics of the contract agreement. At 10, you start to learn the Mishnah. Mishnah meaning the explanation and the, the things that were that are vague, that we, we that are not quite there in the, it starts to, un, to explain on a deeper level what the Torah is saying and what it means for you. So at, at, five, years, at five years old, you're learning Torah. By the age of 10, now you're learning Mishnah. And so this sets the Jews, okay? I'm saying this now because I'm saying it's because we understand that the Jews of today have been brought up this way. In other words, when they were children, they started learning Torah. By the time they're 10 years old, at 10 years old, you're getting ready to go, you're getting ready to just some people, you know, sixth grade or so, fifth, sixth grade, and you're already steeped in the Bible. You are, you're, learning, you're knowing the Bible, Mishnah. At 10 years old, can you imagine what you would be like if you had studied Mishnah Torah, Rambam's Mishnah Torah, at the age of 10, you're still in elementary school. You haven't even gone to middle school, but you know the word. And so when you look at it, think about it. When you look at how the European Jews and the African Jews on the East Coast and the African Jews that are in Chicago and the African Jews that, and you see, because the Europeans were not the only ones in the 1800s in this country that were keeping Torah. We were keeping Torah as well. There were many of us keeping Torah as well. So those that have, you know, and you, you run through and they speak Hebrew, I mean, it's just beautiful. It's not the same. They can speak the dialect of the Europeans, but they can speak the other dialect as well, which is our dialect. And it's a beautiful thing, but just think about it. And, and many of them, 
you see the numbers of them, most of them are professionals because they have been taught the Torah. They've been steeped in the importance of education and it's in and it's well, and but the difference is, and I, I don't have to tell you this, is on the European side, they were always told they were special by society. On our side, we were always told we were nothing in fulfillment of the of the scripture of the of the of the of the prophecy. Every nation, not just one nation, but every nation turned against us. Okay, so I just need to put that in. But at ten years old, you started to learn Mishnah. At thirteen, which is time of puberty, uh, it's interesting teaching on that when you get into the Mishnah and uh, Talmud. It talks about one pubic hair and all this kind of stuff. Um, you know. And uh, I don't know, you know, uh, you have your bar mitzvah and the and the bat mitzvah, meaning that you are responsible for keeping the commandments. So you become a child of the command or a bar mitzvah, uh, a son of the commandment or a bat mitzvah, a daughter of the commandment. Okay, so you you know we we do those things. You start learning how to do those at thirteen. So while we're out doing our thing at thirteen. Those that are in Torah are doing something totally different. Not saying they're mischievous and get into different things, but for the most part, I'm really following the command. In other words, learning how to do business, contracts, contract law. They're learning all this stuff. When I say Mishnah and Mishnah Torah, that's contract law. That's how to deal with the, the, the law enforcement of the, the nations where you're in because we are, and you're learning who you are inside the nation, how you're to, 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 to and you learn how to, to, to actually do business with integrity and how to treat your fellow human being. And it's a lifestyle and it's in the household. Now, so it's, now Rabbi it, Absalom, I have a question. That bar mitzvah mm -hmm. and bat mitzvah, is that is when the sins are upon them? Is that the celebration for that? No, no. What happens is they, they stand up and it, they, you're taking responsibility. Okay. You're taking responsibility for, for knowing the Torah, okay, and how to apply the commandments, okay, because everybody sins, right, sin is, is, you know, but a child is not responsible until he's 20 years old, actually, when you look at the Torah, you know, you really, really be, you know, up, up until that time, you're still under the tutelage of your parents, you see, so you're protected, but at, at that time, you'll see, if you go to the synagogue and temple, and when we set up congregation at 13 years old, you can actually get up and read the Torah, from the Torah scroll, at the at the uh, you know uh, up on the the bema or the or podium, okay, and you actually lead the service. You're able to lead a service, okay. Okay, Griff um, had a question too. Griff, you have to take your mic off. Yeah, I just wanted to uh, follow up what Rabbi was saying. I know Rabbi, you're saying that like there were African uh, Jews, there were folks here in America keeping the Torah, even you know in the 1800s. Um, which I hadn't known until I just wanted to give a, you know, uh, Rabbi Crawley, Rabbi Sanders, Rabbi Black, um, all those mm -hmm. guys. I didn't know until I read. So I just want to give a quick plug for this book right here, Chosen People. Uh, mm -hmm. Wonderful book, great research where this guy goes through and he lays out from the 1800s all the way through to the 1960s. All of these different rabbis, all these different uh, Hebrew congregations uh, that were in the midst of America. So I just wanted to say, I just read this. I just finished this uh, maybe a month ago. <laughs> so if you just say that, I was just like, man, I just got that knowledge. So just wanted to plug yeah. that real quick. 
Yeah, yeah. We uh, where I got my shemika from when we did the ceremony was up in Mount Hoare. It was a hundred years old in a black synagogue in in Brooklyn, in the Bronx. <laughs> yeah, there there are many of Rabbi Wentworth and and uh, Rabbi Ford. Those are the ones that we are uh, really closely attached to. Okay, so yeah, they, we were here. In other words, we were here, and, and so and they were doing these things, right? We just didn't, you know, media didn't cover them. You didn't see, you know, the uh, Harlem Knights uh, talks a little bit about it, but there were, you know, no, Fred Sanford talks about a little bit, you know, but in one episode of his show, but for the most part, you didn't hear about us. Okay, but yes, we were here and, and we have great rabbis. We were actually dealing with Ethiopia because that's where we get our Shemitah from through Ethiopia, uh, B'nai Israel. And, and so, yeah, that's that's our heritage, okay? So at 15, you get in Talmud. Again, Talmud is our book of, of, of our volumes of books. It's our law library, I'll put it that way. So at 15, you're knowing that, the law library. You're like an attorney. Uh, in the world system, you're like an attorney. You know this stuff, right? Uh, and, and, and I must say this also, uh, in jewelry, uh, modern jewelry, it, Talmud, it has been stated that Talmud is what makes you a Jew. For the Israelite, that's not true. Okay, Talmud doesn't make you a Jew. All right. And so um, we learn Talmud because it's a part of, of our, our heritage. But remember, the Talmud came after the dispersion. Jerusalem Talmud came in the fourth century and then about the sixth century you start getting into the Babylonian Talmud but we were already gone okay so the Talmud does not make us who we are all right and you can't tell us that we are who we are because of Talmud because we are Torah and and we we return to Torah again Talmud is Torah but again it's it's our system of, of laws and it breaks it down the, the, the crime and the punishment and those kinds of things. But at 15 years old, every male should know that or be uh, learning Talmud, okay? And then at 18 years old, now that's when we had the time of voting in this country, but at 18 years old, it says you're prepared for marriage. But I say I flip that because I mean, sure you can get married at 18, but I think that you should actually pursue your, your livelihood. In other words, get your education, uh, uh, you know, further yourself, get yourself in a trade or a profession, and then, you know, get married. I know oftentimes at the age of 18, and this is why a lot of us at the age of 18, we have to leave our homes, our family homes, because that custom of, of being married, you're ready for marriage at 18. And that's, something that we didn't really understand why we would do that. But it, at 18, you get out of this house, you get your own job and get your own place. But in actuality, in Israel, it was not so. You had to sow your field and, and plant your, your, your vineyards and build and then begin to build your house. In other words, get yourself established and then get start your family. So I would encourage everyone that as our children become 18, don't kick them out of the house give them a chance to grow and learn who they are. Many of the, the Hudi, the Jews that I know, 
that at 18, they would, as they, you know, back in the 60s, you say, we're going out to try to find ourselves. Well, we, as African-Americans, we didn't go out to find ourselves. That was for the Europeans. They went out to find themselves. So they'd be out in Mexico and going all around Europe because they had the money and they had freedom to do it because they were white. The skin was white. For the black Israelites or the black Jews, it was not that way. We had to, we were going to school, getting our professions and, 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 and still dealing with Jim Crow and the things that are going on and, and, and uh, you know, slavery and that sort of thing back in 1800s, like I said, I met my great grandparents, uh, you know, who lived during that time uh, of slavery, not just Jim Crow, but during slavery. So um, at 20 years old, he's his livelihood, at 30 years old, is full of strength and you, you're at your prime. For men, it's at your prime. Women start a little earlier in their prime, but for the men at, at, at uh, 30, we start you know, finding yourself. And then at 40, you get understanding where you can just kind of relax and say, well, if it is, it is. And if it's not, it's not. Okay, you start more subtle, you know, again, you're knowing more about who you are. But remember, all this is, is built upon as an infant, as a child of five, you've already been steeped in Torah. So by the time you're 50, you know that Torah. You know, you if you if we started at five, by the time we were 50, you would know the Torah by heart if you really were diligent at it. And many, you know, and and again, I want to say this: just because you don't speak Hebrew does not make you any less an Israelite. Okay, it doesn't. It's it is a wonderful thing to to understand the hebrew and to read the hebrew and it's a blessing but you don't have to if you go to ethiopia they speak ge'ez or or uh tigrin um and then they had hebrew but ge'ez was the was the 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 language that they spoke in the synagogue right again because they were in ethiopia in ethiopia but they learned hebrew right so it doesn't make them any less an israelite because they speak another language or it doesn't make you less an Israelite because you speak another language. So, and, and some people, you know, want to throw their Hebrew on you. Uh, you know, it should be to encourage you to learn Hebrew and not to say that I'm better than you. So, uh, but at 50, you look at that stuff and say, you know, you know, I speak English. I'm going to learn it in English. You, you'll say stuff like that, you know, cause it, you know, you, you start to understand that, you know, Hey, the important thing is that I know Torah. Okay, so you get those feelings. And Griff you know. had a question. Go ahead, Griff. Uh -huh. Hey, Rabbi. So I've heard uh, in where well, I saw some of my research and heard previously that uh, the language of Hebrew in ancient times was not a spoken but just a written language, and we revived. Well, it was revived by the European Jews um, in the early 20th century, late 19th century, to be a spoken language. Can you speak to that at all? Is that uh, is that true, or do you have anything around that? No, that's not true. It was a written and it was a spoken language, more spoken than written. And in fact, it's not the same Hebrew that we speak today. Uh, Rabbi Amariel in Israel speaks the ancient Hebrew, and many of the uh, Israelites that are in Israel now and on the East Coast speak the original Hebrew, and it's a different Hebrew. My cousins speak a different Hebrew. They can speak both dialects. Again, that's why I say dialects, they speak both. So that's not entirely true. It was. Now, our ancestors did not want to speak the heavenly language in front of the Gentiles because they didn't want to give the name of the Father to them. 
So we started using Lord and stuff like that. And we wouldn't speak that. We didn't want to desecrate the heavenly language. So we spoke, in, spoke other languages. And the only time we spoke Hebrew, and this is later on, this is not in the beginning, but later on, uh, when the temple was after the temple was destroyed the first time, then we started to get into protecting a, a building a fence around the, the heavenly language and only speaking it in in the in the temple or around there. So uh, it's not entirely true. Okay, there is some truth to it, but it was a spoken and a written language, but more spoken than written. Okay, and, that, and we do that have. That reminds me of our words for today. Just to give it, uh, Tada was thank you. And Baba Kasha is welcome. So those are our words for today. Tada, T-O-D-A-H, thank you. Um, Baba Kasha, and I spelled it B-A-B-A-K-A-S-H-A-W. Of course, that's not how it's spelled, but that's how it's pronounced. Baba Kasha is welcome. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, let Elisa say that. <laughs> say, say it, Ako Elisa. Oh, she's muted. I'm yes. sorry, say that again. Say welcome. You need to ask that to Minister Michael. It's Baba <laughs> Kasha. He's my teacher. <laughs> yeah, Baba Kasha. Baba Kasha is welcome. Baba Kasha. Okay. We got it now. That's your word for today. Welcome. Yeah. As you can see, we get more people that that uh, that, are, that are Israelite that know, you know, know the way. So Rabbi uh, uh, Minister Michael is on. He's very, very, very knowledgeable. Okay, very knowledgeable. So, uh, you know, it, it's a blessing to be there. Okay. So at sixty years old, uh, you know, you hit my mark. Now I'm looking back at sixty. Now, you know, <laughs> you begin to <laughs> you become a senior, right? The age of senior, you start this. You know, body starts to change a lot, a lot. If you you know, if you don't exercise. I'll put it this way, when you turn 60 years old, if you're not exercising, you need to start exercising, all right? If, you, if you're young and you're exercising, don't stop. Do not stop. The thing that helped um, and those, our ancestors live so long and be strong is because they were working. That was their form of exercise, okay? And it keeps the body strong, keeps the blood, blood flowing. My dad was 84 years old he was still going out doing things. He got a hernia because he's out doing so much heavy work. And he passed in the hospital from exfoliation, not because he was sick. He went to get a hernia taken care of. And he was strong, very powerful. But he died from exfoliation the day before, the night before he was getting ready to go home. Wasn't sick. It was an elective surgery that he passed from. So it's sick. I'm saying this, when, you, when we turn 60, it says a senior. It doesn't mean that you're old and feeble. It means that you're just an age of wisdom and you know you just we you don't you don't normally go out and and build a, a congregation because you're the advisor on how to do it you know you're a senior and and what happens is honor your fathers and your mothers you get to a point where the younger people say no you're not gonna father uh you know elder you're not gonna pick it up i'm gonna do that that's where you're at that stage when you get into your 60s you're not weak and feeble it's just that the younger people have more respect. And you remember, it talks about where it talks about the women when they turn 60 years old, you know, and it talks about them, you know, they, and we call them mothers in the church and, and stuff like that because that's respect. That's respect. So at 70 years old, uh, three score and 10, you know, that's what is given to us, right? They promise us three 
scoring 10. But, um, you know, it says you're at an old age. And then at 80 years old, of course, you're by strength, you live to 80 years old. You go back to scripture and find all these. Well, Jerry right? said he's going to live to 120. That's what he always told yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, people don't. Yeah, yeah. If if you're gonna do it, you can do it by himself. Because I don't want to be here 120. (laughs) I can make it to 80. I'm good. Yeah, you can. uh, If you exercise and 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 live a kosher life, you can do it. Right, you can do it. I have to show BJ how to do the push-ups. Yeah. Uh huh. (laughs) I, I still can do one-handed push-ups and on the on the fingertips and on the thumb. I still can do them. Oh yeah, yeah. I still do it. So not as many as I used to, but I still can. Yeah, I, I tried every once in a while when nobody's looking. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't get to one one finger push-up yet. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I can do. It's it's actually two fingers, a finger and thumb, and, and you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but those, you know, that's the introduction to the life cycles right there. So now I want to, uh, you know, that's the introduction to the life cycle. And right now it's, it's 11 o'clock, 11.05. How much, how far do you want me to go, uh, uh, Akhot? Oh, whenever you're, you're ready. I know I took a lot of time, so it's, okay. it's up to no, you. No, it's okay. Okay. So I'm just going to do Leviticus chapter 12, and then I'm going to stop right there because I don't, again, you know, I don't want to go too far, but I want to introduce you to the, the ages and what's the, what we should see in those those stages of life, right? And so the important thing is, again, we start off, we start our children off at an early age, indoctrinating them in the Torah and the word, the ways of our father, okay? Uh, and, and so this is very important because train up a child in the way that he will go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. It is very difficult. And I'm saying this because, and I want, and uh, for you, the Christians that are there, that are is, that are that are uh, want to make sure that they're obeying the Bible, the Scripture. Well, you know, it, it's it's a it's a challenge when you've been in Christianity for forty years and thirty years. It's a challenge to make a change when you've been told something for so long and and so indoctrinated and and so your brain has been so washed to think a certain way without looking at what the foundation was built, what what foundation it was built upon. And so that's why we strive so much to, when we talk about indoctrination, we talk about, you know, conditioning, we talk about it so much because it's a challenge and it takes the anointing to destroy that yoke that has been in, so ingrained in us. And so this life cycles, there's a challenge in this life cycles, learning the life cycles, especially for the men when it talks about the consideration of the drop of blood, you know, and I'm talking about Brit Mila, which is not the first. Circumcision is what you're talking about, right? Yeah, yeah, it, yeah circumcision, Brit Mila, yeah. It's not the first of the life cycles. But it's so close to the first is after eight days, you start you enter into your parent. Our parents are supposed to to you know start to prepare us for the contract agreement, and all of this is contract agreement. And if you understand the the, the law of contracts, 
you understand that if you break the contract in any of the, the, the you know, the party can say, you've just broken the contract and I don't have to renew the contract. You're out of contract. And so if you are not in contract, then again, you know, you just, it's, you're depriving yourself of something that is yours, okay? So let's go to Leviticus chapter 12 and verse one. It says, and the Lord spoke unto Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel saying, if a woman, remember I'm, I'm looking at life cycles. If a woman hath conceived seed and born a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days according to the days of the separation for her infirmity, shall she be unclean. Now, when I say that for word infirmity, you know, uh, pregnancy is a pre-existing condition. And it used to be you couldn't get insurance if you had a pre-existing condition, right? So and if she, you know, so today, uh, used to, a few years ago, she wouldn't have been able to go to the hospital, you know, but think about this. If a woman has conceived seed and born a male child, then she shall be unclean for seven days. Why is the, what is the purpose of that being unclean for seven days? We have to think about that. You see, think about that. Now, later on, we get into the Mishnah Torah, in the Talmud, it explains this, right? But we're not going to get that deep today because first of all, I got to get you to, to see the Torah. And then we begin to actually implement the Torah, okay? So I want you to see, what is the uncleanness? What is it? What's going on? You know, and if you go to Demona, I have to use Demona because they have the midwives and they follow this this teaching in Demona. I don't know if they're still doing it now, but they were doing it. It's been a while and I haven't talked to anybody. I haven't talked to my cousins for a while, but they would do that. And, and you know, the sisters in the congregation or in the community would help her, you know. We had support. Our community supported our women. And so she didn't have to do anything because they took care of everything for her during this time, you know? And so she's separated, unclean, she's still a part of, but she is, it's for her protection because we have bloodborne pathogens. And again, when you're around other people, you wanna keep your, your, her immune system is compromised. The baby's immune system is, is young uh, hasn't been exposed to to many of the things that he needs to in order to to, to strengthen it. You know, haven't started putting dirt in their mouth and stuff like that, putting things in the mouth. When children are doing that, they're actually strengthening their immune system. That's what that, that's what's actually going on. So they put everything in their mouth. It actually it's it, it works to help strengthen their immune system because the body begins to learn how to, to attack the different germs that they, they go into their body. So their body starts to build up on that. And that's, that's you know, um, you have to talk to the doctors about that. And, and but that's a part of it, okay? And, say, and then verse three says, and in the eighth day, the flesh, and this is talking to the male child. In the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Now that word shall be, it shall is a legal term, again, that meaning it's a part of the contract agreement. It's not for the nations, okay? It's not for the goyim. It's for the children of Israel. 
on the eighth day, the male. And they talk about all these things that, you know, again, we'll get into the, the depths of it later on when we have time to really focus on Brit Mila. But again, this is contract agreement. Part of the reason why we are here where we are is because we broke the contract agreement. That's how powerful it is. That's how powerful it is. It is a part of it. So eighth day, the male is circumcised. The wife is being isolated so that she doesn't get sick while her immune system is compromised, okay? At the same time, the child is also being protected, okay? He's nursing from the mother, building up his immune system, and he's getting ready for his, to enter into the contract. In other words, he's a child of Abraham. And it's for, and when we read the scripture later on, when we get down to the uh, 23rd chapter in, in, uh, of, of uh, Leviticus and stuff, we start getting later on, uh, we start 13th chapter and, and, and on, when it starts talking about Passover, when you're talking Passover, you can't do things unless you're circumcised. In other words, you're a part of the contract agreement. So there are things that, that, that are necessary in order to fulfill the mitzvot, okay? The command, the mitzvot. Circumcision is important, all right? And again, um, we can't force anyone, and I wouldn't force anyone to do it. That's a choice that you have to make. And, and I prayerfully, after we studied the Torah and after we've gone through it over and after anointing touches your spirit, touches your soul. And that's what I desire is that under the anointing, under the word, when you're getting the word, the truth of the word and the anointing is flowing, it will cause your spirit to line up with the word and then you would desire to do it. I, for one, uh, again, when I went to, to do recircumcision, the, the doctor looked and said, you're already certain. And I said, I had to do it because it wasn't done for the right reason. It was done without, it was done without the prayer. And I had to do it with the prayer. But I saw men that were 40 years old going for the circumcision. And I said, man, why are you doing that? You don't have to do that. But as I began to focus more on the scripture, I said, I do have to do it. You know, you have to, when you come back into contract, when you've left and, and the Gentiles did it, you have to come back and you have to do it for the right reason. Uh, do the drop of blood. You have to do the drop of blood. That's the consideration. That's your consideration is the blood. The covenant is the covenant of blood. That is the consideration. Okay. That enters in you into Abraham's covenant. So remember that. Okay. But again, I had to, I, being a pastor for so many years, was telling people they didn't have to be circumcised. But once I allowed the anointed to take over, I began to study and really immerse myself in Torah. I found that, wait a minute. When Shaul was talking, he was talking about Gentiles. But he wasn't saying they shouldn't be. He wasn't forcing them to. So I'm not going to force anyone. When I'm talking, I'm not going to force you to do it. It's something you have to do it. But if you do a circumcision and your heart is not in the right place, it doesn't matter anyway because mm -hmm. you're not doing it for the right reason. Mm -hmm. But when you do it, let it be for the right reason to enter in the contract agreement and it is the consideration. So if your heart is not right, don't do it. If you're not, if the anointing, if the rule condition is not telling you to do it and, and, and it, don't do it because your heart is not right and it won't mean anything. So again, for the male, 
uh, in the life cycle, this is the beginning of the life cycle for the male. The eighth day begins your journey into Torah, the Torah lifestyle for the male. Also for the female, uh, uh, let me go on. It said, and, and she shall then continue in her blood of her purifying for three and 30 days for 33 days. She shall touch no hollow thing nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying be fulfilled. Again, we'll get deeper into that when we go into Mishnah Torah. This is one of the things that is explained in the in the Talmud, the Mishnah Torah, and the Masorah. Okay, it talks it talks about these things, and we'll get into that. But again, opening up your under, your your thought processes mm -hmm. so that you can begin to search these things out and why they're important for us. Again, you know, the woman's immune system, those things are important. And if you're going into the temple, when people, remember when people went to the temple, there were sacrifices going on at the temple. And if a woman is going there and her body is still open, right? She goes in there and that blood-borne pathogens are in there, she's gonna get sick. So she don't need to be go there around that. And she doesn't need to be taking a new infant out there with that because the woman's not going to go without her baby she ain't leaving a baby at home you try to tell her to leave a baby at home and she didn't know she's not going to do it that baby going that baby going see so so and and then again another example is this watch out watch out how powerful this is we're in COVID 19 i'm gonna finish up with this i'm not gonna go any further than it but i'm gonna do this right now we're in the age of COVID 19. And for, and what has happened, the government has said, look, you need to protect yourself from this disease, this sickness, because it will kill you. And the people who have a heart to obey, because remember, these people are there and they were, uh, and, and, and these are gifts of healing. This is the gifts of healing telling you what is good for you to protect you, protect your life. And they're telling us, you can go out, but put a mask on, put wear the gloves, cover your eyes, because it's in the air. So what if that woman went to the temple and there's a sickness from the animals in the air? Right now we've got COVID, it's in the air. You see, the Bible is telling us, and these things are coming around, so people are going to these functions without obeying, and they're sick, getting sick. You know, we just had a bishop that died because of COVID-19, went to a super spreader. Herman Cain died, went to a super spreader, following the ways of the Gentiles, doing what a Gentile told them to do. They went against the gift of God, which is the, with the, with the gift of healing. They went against it. And as the children of Israel, the punishment is worse for us than it is for them because we are children of the contract. So gifts of healing are gifts from the Father. Healers are gifts from the Father. And if his gift tells you to do something, forgiveness is not in him. Obedience is for us to obey, obey the gifts of God. So, and I'm not getting down on people, they did not obey and they died for it. They died for it. If the children, if the women would go into the temple and they were doing sorrow and things, they would die for it. Not because the father did it, but it's because they disobeyed the command of God. 
when we disobey, the punishment is right away. People say, you know, and, and, and you know, I, I think about that. I say, you know, when I was young, I did some foolish things. I did some foolish things. And I pay for that now, for the foolishness that I did as a young, in my body. And we do that. You know, we get arthritis and things. We wonder, why do I get it? Because of the foolishness that we've done in our youth. There's a price to be paid for that. You plant the seed, it's going to come up. Okay. So, I, I, you know, that, that has nothing to do with life cycle, but it does have something to do with obedience. <laughs> but I did want to, again, I'm gonna, I said I was going to stop right there, but because, again, remember, it's important for us to build our community mm-hmm. and to return to the ancient path. And we find out why the women, and I, when we were growing up, how the neighbors would take care and they bring food to the house for the woman that just had come out of the hospital with having a baby. And the neighbors would take, I remember that growing up, my neighbors would, you know, they took, and my mother would go and help the neighbors when they had children. And my aunts and uncles, and they would come over when my mother would have, you know, family would come and help take care of the baby and tell, and then they give wise counsel on how to bring that baby up and what, you know, the baby get colic or something like that, how to deal with colic. And that's our community. Mm-hmm. That's the part, you know, and so because, you know, at that time, uh, uh, when the baby is young, exposure to different things, it, it could be detrimental to them. And so the elderly women who had been through it can come and with wise counsel to the young mothers. And so we have to understand that, that it came from here in Leviticus. It's telling us, it gives us a foundation of why our parents did the things they did, why our grandparents did what they did, and why they told us how to do certain things because it was a carryover from the ancient days. It was a carryover. It's it's something that they brought forward with us, and it's yeah. a part of the life cycles. You know, we have that we talk. Thank, we we thank you. Uh, mm-hmm. We that's some great teaching. You've all heard of life cycles. He's broken down the contract from the age five going on down to sixty, um, and that's what we're here to do is to. Uh, teach you. Rabbi Afshalom has given us some great teaching. He's breaking it down to us. He's given us the scripture behind it. There's a scripture behind everything he's giving. Is there anyone that has any questions? Any questions? We are the Hebrew Israelites. We are the original Jews. We thank you for joining the Hebrew congregation of Houston. Um, we're going to end in prayer. Thank you so much, Rabbi Afshalom. We're going to end in prayer with Elisa Afshalom. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm getting a cult, Elisa Afshalom. I'm sorry, I'm getting it all twisted. <laughs> no worries. Can you hear me? Yes, I, yes, we can. Right, so she's going to end us in some prayer. All right. Father, to Thank you for this privilege and this honor to pray, to intercede, to lift up your people. Yes. I thank you for these that we have here today. These are your people. Father, I pray that none of us leave with, uh, without gathering information, without retaining information, without seeking information of how to live before you how to seek you, how to come before you, how to speak to you, 
and even as we leave from prayer, we don't leave from your presence, yeah. how to leave from your, from you, how to go about our daily lives, how to live amongst each other, how to live in the nations, although we are not of the nations. I thank you, Father, that there is a set apartness, if that is even a word, there is a difference amongst your people than all the other nations. We are different and people seek after that difference, but it's not the difference, Father, it's you that makes the difference. I thank you that this is your day. We are to celebrate you. We are to intercede on behalf of others today yes. and to enjoy your presence, enjoy a meal, enjoy fellowship in you. This is the one day that you ask us to separate ourselves and be with you. And that's what we're doing. That's what we desire to do. That's what we always want to do. May we give your name, the praise, the glory, and the honor for it all, and acknowledge you as our Father always. B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. 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 I, I thank my family for being on. Uh, my husband, Jerry, who's my covering. I have uh, two coverings. And um, when you're married, you have Yeshua, and then you have your husband as cover. I think my son um, and all of you are, uh, and that's Griff. He's my son, in case you didn't know it. Um, I thank you all for being here. It's very important to have my family here. And, and I thank Yeshua for that. Um, all of you are my mishpaha, which we know means family. Ahava, I love you all. We love you all. We hope that you enjoyed. Uh, we pray that you're here next Saturday and that you tune in. And we're doing this out of love to tell you the awakening, your identity, and how to move forward. We're moving forward. We are moving forward. And we're going to give you all the information that we have. We're sharing information. Get these books. Look these things up for yourself. Start keeping the Sabbath day holy. Turn to the east. Do your prayers. Pray over your family. Sit down on, on Friday and enjoy your family. Love on them. Teach them. Cover them in Yahshua name. Shalom. Shalom, shalom. Shalom, shalom everybody. Shalom. Shalom. Shalom.